I have three daughters, Sage, Sky, and Soleil. I affectionately refer to them as Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'm one of those guys who, since he was born, was probably meant to be a dad. I love having kids, and my girls are the greatest joy in my life. They are 15, 13, and 11 now. You know, as the pandemic wore on, I began wondering how this whole experience was going to affect them. I was really worried. Would they be okay? Would their lives be canceled in some way, interrupted? So I started writing down some of my reflections about parenting during this pandemic, and I recorded them in an audio essay called Childhood Interrupted, Raising Kids During a Pandemic. It's part diary, part parenting guide, and part love letter to my children. And today, I'd like to share an excerpt with you. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. My love has always been the brain. I think this is the prism from which I see just about everything. People always talk about nature versus nurture, but the truth is that nature drives nurture and nurture drives nature, and this is especially true when it comes to the brain. And it's especially true in situations like this. Experiences that we have in our lives right now not only change us, but they change who we are and they change what we are going to pass on to our progeny as well. The experiences that we're having are going to be mirrored in future generations through these amazing biological mechanisms that allow these experiences to be encoded in some way into our bodies and then passed on to our future children. And some of the strongest experiences are traumatic ones, especially ones that stagger out over time, especially ones that have great amounts of uncertainty attached to it. That trauma in some ways gets encoded and happens over and over again in some ways affecting every organ in the body. We know that stress is a common denominator here. It is the universal mechanism. And I always remind people that stress is not the enemy. Stress is not necessarily bad. In fact, we need stress. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what makes us study for a test. It's what makes us motivated to continue our lives in some sort of productive way. But unrelenting stress, stress that never ends, that can be really toxic. Unrelenting stress is the problem here. Again, stress itself is not the problem. It's just when that stress never stops. You never get a break. And what's happening is the hormone has impact on all these organs in the body. You know, you feel the pit in your stomach. You feel your heart rate increase. You feel your blood pressure rise. But you can't always tell what it's doing inside your brain. And this gets really fascinating. How does stress affect the brain? especially when it comes to kids. We know that it can have an impact on the hippocampus. That's an area of the brain that is responsible for memory. And I've always found this super interesting. The hippocampus is responsible for memory in part, and the stress hormone cortisol tends to negatively affect the hippocampus. So as a result, we don't always remember those things that are traumatic, that are stressful as well. So I've always thought of this as an adaptive mechanism especially for kids, so that they forget particularly traumatic events, or at least they don't remember them so easily. They don't become defined by these events. So that's one of the things that stress does to the brain. But the cortisol also affects the amygdala of the brain, 
which is responsible for emotion. I mean, you can explain why under situations of great stress, we go into fight or flight or freeze, but I think it's harder to explain why we suddenly break down into a big bundle of emotion and tears, as I recently saw with my oldest daughter, Sage, when she just started crying. I don't know why, Dad. I don't know why I'm crying, she kept saying. And the thing is, she was telling the truth. Her amygdala, the emotional center of the brain, had just had too much. And in those situations, the warm embrace of an adult, metaphorically, but also physically, not only helps buffer the situation, but can also cause the predictable release of another hormone in the body, a hormone known as oxytocin. This is the cuddle hormone. This is the hormone that causes feelings of trust and love and safety. And this all gets to this concept of resilience. Oxytocin can help keep kids resilient and help buffer the effects of cortisol. You've got to ask yourself, why are some people crushed by these traumatic situations and other people strengthened by them? I think it's because you have the traumatic event, but then it's wrapped in love and support and safety and you become strengthened by it. Now, I will say there's a bit of a paradox here because in the middle of a pandemic, in order to touch and hug and cuddle and snuggle, we do need to touch and feel. And at the same time, we are told to remain physically distant. So here again, I think is an obligation, but also an opportunity for parents to act in a way and to have an impact that maybe they hadn't had before. They've got to make up for that sense of touch and love and cuddle and snuggle because your kids aren't getting it anywhere else right now. They're not getting that oxytocin release. So in our house, we spend a lot of time just snuggling up to one another. When we're reading bedtime stories or watching a movie, we let the kids get really up close. They need that biologically more than ever. And I think as a parent, if you sort of keep this in mind, actually envision the release of these various hormones, these counterbalancing hormones that affect your child's brain, you will see the benefits of that touch long term. I do have to say that I think for most parents, the fear for their children falls more into the realm of the psychological rather than the physical. There are certainly cases of children becoming ill, that's become clear, but when you look at all the data coming out of China and now being confirmed around the world, children do seem fairly protected from this particular virus. We don't know if that's going to continue to be the case, but right now, children are far less likely to get sick. But we also know that children and young people can be carriers. They can carry the disease. They can bring it home. And I've always wondered about the psychological impact if a child learns that he or she brought the virus home and somebody got sick as a result. What seems to be the biggest fear, though, for parents themselves, I think, is the overall impact of the shutdown of society. And specifically, the shutdown of schools, the shutdown of camps, the shutdown of some sort of structured social interaction. A lot of parents have been telling me it just feels like lost time, that we're losing this time, an important critical time with our kids and their development. A lot of parents I talk to say their biggest fears are the longer-term ramifications for their kids. And they often ask me, how do we build resilience in our kids? How do we best use this time? And I think there's no question that this entire COVID-19 pandemic, in some ways, is traumatic, but does represent an opportunity to build resiliency in your kids. 
So what is resiliency? Well, resiliency is basically how well a person can adapt to big events in their lives, such as tragedies, such as a natural disaster, such as some sort of health concern. But the question I think always is, why do some children emerge from a big tragedy more resilient and others are just devastated by it? The analogy often given is that the mind is like a muscle. And I think that's true in some ways, but not every way. Resilience, for example, is not the inevitable outcome of being resilient, if that makes sense. For example, when you work out and get these micro tears in your muscles, you develop bigger muscles. Larger muscles, in some ways, are the outcome of trauma and stress on the muscles. But resiliency is not necessarily the inevitable outcome of inflicting micro tears or micro trauma on your brain. So it's impossible for any of us individuals to change the trajectory of this pandemic, but we can change the way that our children experience it. If children are in situations where they simply feel loved and supported and cared for, they are much more likely to emerge from an equally traumatic situation more resilient because they've still gone through this pandemic and they've had that impact on them, but it is also cocooned in the support and love and care. Now, if you'd like to hear the rest of this, please check out Audible. That's a member-based app for books and other original content. And if you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.